I have a dream to make movement practice universally understandable and accessible to anybody in the world and even understandable to those who are outside of the culture. I've started with the podcast featuring conversations that I have with teachers and practitioners who are in this community. I've learned so much from these conversations and really connected with people, both the listeners and the people that I've got on the podcast, and that's been a real joy. And so I want to pay that forward. I want to help listeners to this podcast also connect with other listeners and with teachers who I have on the podcast. So I'm really pleased to announce the opening of the Active Hang. The Active Hang is an online discussion board or a forum, a space for thoughtful and critical discussion on movement practice. You have a question? You want to meet the others? Jump on the Active Hang, say hello, ask your question and connect. My dream for the Active Hang is that it can become an asset to the community, a knowledge bank, a resource, one where people come and contribute. Where can you find it? It's on thepassivehang.com. It's free to sign up. Come in and say hello. Once more again, you can access it at thepassivehang.com. Welcome back. We're at episode 44 of The Passive Hang, and today we welcome Daniel Murakami, aka Strong Camps, on Instagram onto the podcast. Daniel is a teacher, trainer, residing in California, USA, and he is also one of the brains behind Movement Quest, who have been sharing entertaining and refreshing content in this sometimes over-serious culture. There's a lot of laughs in this one, so we get to see where all that humor is coming from. We're going to get started now. I'll see you guys in the episode. Well, thanks guys for joining in once again. It's Fayon here with The Passive Hang. I think we're up to episode 44 now, which I'm glad to say. I've got Mr. DJ Murakami, Daniel, Strong Camps on the podcast. Yes. Thanks for joining us for a chat. Thanks for having me on. So just running through some of your listings on Instagram, you know, you're the former headmaster of OMU, now Movement Quest, which I do want to dig in a bit later to ask you what's going on. Otherwise, how about Strong Camps? Where did the name Strong Camps come from? Is that something that was like you came up with or someone bestowed on you? Yeah, I came up with that. This was a long time ago, maybe like 2014, 13. Um, I was doing like a boot camp class on Saturdays and to kind of separate myself from the normal boot camps I was doing locally. I mm-hmm. called it strong camps because it was more strength based. You know, we'd have lifts in there and circuit style training. Um, so I ended up, <laughs> I had an Instagram before that, but it was only pictures of food and like um, some flowers and other weird stuff like the clouds. So I made, I made it just to advertise my local uh, boot camp. And I quickly realized that um, shirtless videos and weird exercises I was doing was, uh, was kind of uh, got more engagement. So I just, <laughs> I just sold my soul to the algorithm and here I am. Well, well. <laughs> We've all been determined by the algorithm. I think pre-2014 or maybe pre-2010, that's when food and flowers were still working. And then suddenly the algorithm caught up and then just switched to shirtless men. Yeah, well, it was weird for me because I hate 
I don't think I ever took a selfie or picture of myself before that. And then, but, but using like the, the identity or the avatar of, Oh, this is my business, not me. It, it's easier to do. <laughs> and then the lines get blurred at some point. <laughs> uh, so that's pretty cool because I remember coming up with nicknames for myself, you know, 10, 15 years ago. I hate all them now. They're, they're kind of, you know, I, I look back, I'm like, what was I thinking? I used to sometimes, you know, when you came up with video game avatars as well, kind of mash the keyboard, put in some vowels, consonants in between, and that would be it. You got to put the X's in the front and behind it, like a uh, little crazy boy, XX17. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking of AIM now, if anyone remembers that. So one thing I first wanted to ask you is, you know, you posted a lot of stuff about lifting shit and pushing over big stuff, going out into the environment and, and manipulating it. So I really wanted to ask you, like, what does your actual training look like these days? Is it that, or is that just a portion or display of what your, your training builds the capacity to do yeah i mean i don't have any rocks in the gym or anything but uh th- i mean most of that stuff is just curiosity right? it just piques my interest like can i do it um in my training uh you know i use sandbags barbells conventional equipment um, but i also i guess would train them you know asymmetrical lifts, um, you know, some, some different ranges of motion. So it, it carries over to if I want to just try something odd or lift something odd or wrestle outside of it. At least I like to tell myself that. <laughs> and how do you pick your battles? Like, do you just walk past something and go, that looks like, something i could do or something that i should do yeah and i mean until i kind of tried it once i mean it never crossed my mind but once you try lifting something up on the side of the road or outside the more i do it the more i see things like automatically i'll see something like oh can i pick it up can i pick it up a lot of times i can't Hmm. um which is cool because it's different than, you know, in a gym, you don't want to necessarily try a lift that's too heavy. Hmm. Um, but as far as a stone or something awkward like that, I mean, you could try to lift up anything you want. You're going to be relatively safe. You know, it's kind of self-governing. So that's the fun part about it. I mean, hmm. you could try to lift something 20 times and you might get it on the 21st time just because you got some sort of dialed in, formula for that complex angle and uh arrangement that's true it's like you try and lift something and then it's either coming up or not really at all right or if you you can almost automatically feel oh this is coming up and then if it's only not either budging or just a little bit you're like uh that's too dangerous and kind of will walk away as opposed to maybe a barbell where you you might 
like beckon over your friend. He might give you like a nice bear hug behind the back, you know, in the squat and as you try and max out 50% over what maybe you should be doing. Yeah. And it's, um, it's interesting because belief, belief has a lot to do with it when you don't know how much something weighs or even you can't even register how much it's going to feel like hmm. with plates on a bar. You, and you know, and you've known this because sometimes if you go to lift something that you forgot to put a plate on or you put a lighter plate on it, it'll like fly up because you're already registering in your head. Like this is how much force I need to produce. You're making the prediction of how it's going to feel. But that prediction is not really available when you're just lifting up an object and you really have an eyeball. It. So you're, you're learning as you go and fine tuning, which I think is pretty cool and pretty actually having that information and prediction in real life is very in the gym. I mean, is very unnatural. <laughs> it's, it's probably more relatable to just try something and figure it out as you go. Yeah, I was wondering about how you manage or perceive load when you're lifting something that's completely foreign to you. Because, you know, as you say in the barbell, you've got a lot of practice with how it feels, wrapping your hands around the weight. You know, you've just done that a couple of days ago or a week ago, but then you come to this, I don't know, tree stump, especially if it's a, a new tree stump, you've got no idea what may happen, right? So is there like some element of risk assessment as well that you do when you approach it? No, I mean, just because it's relatively safe, I'll, I'll just try it, you know. You could always dump it or ditch it. Um, yeah, I'll just, I'll, t I'll tug on things. And I'll be like, oh, that's not going anywhere. <laughs> or I tug on it and be like, oh, maybe. So, yeah. It's fun. It's just fun. Complexity is more fun, you know, just like any game or sport, climbing, whatever you want to do. It's the, it's the riddle. It's, you know, it's the movement game, um, which that's what's good about lifting, too, is you kind of can remove all those variables and complexities so that you have a very linear, predictable path. And I think the prediction is what makes people feel safe um, and creates a maybe a better standardized entryway for people to access. So it's all good. Yeah. Do you uh, prefer like an approach where you start off with that sort of more linear predictable environment and then after that, then move into this more uncertainty or do you like introducing maybe when you guide people, these elements of uncertainty from the very beginning? Yeah, I don't necessarily try to create more chaos in people's training. Um, you know, I have them, I have sandbags are a great tool I like to use just because they are awkward. It's very different. The, the load of the bag does not translate to how it would feel on a barbell. So that's new for people. Um, you have a lot more leeway as far as like you might be holding the bag to the side shifting the other side so yeah i like to expose people to that almost before a barbell to be honest hmm. um, because you're forced to 
uh, create a little bit more uh, tension and it, it's almost directed more specifically as far as compression holding it hmm. whereas a barbell i mean who knows they're ripping the bar apart squeezing it together who you know what they're doing but yeah so um yeah but as far as you know blindfolding people or doing crazy shit just to mess with them <laughs> uh no nah, i don't i don't do any of that that's just to yourself yeah that's because i think it's fun <laughs> the average person's not gonna have fun doing that right <laughs> so you know you mentioned with the barbell there's always like a lot of cues form cues that sort of stuff stay tight on the bar you know brace all that sort of stuff when you tell someone when they approach a sandbag what do you remind them of or what do you guide them through when they're first maybe coming to this to this new object uh nothing i mean i think that's the cool thing is it's a bag you know you've picked up boxes or children off the ground so uh i see it as a little bit more intuitive than a barbell which um i really can't recall too many things i've picked up or especially squatted um where the weight is on the outsides and uh, there's a bar in front of your, your knees or legs. So a sandbag is a little bit more accessible in my opinion and requires a little bit more less cueing and more intuition, which I love because cueing is a, uh, it's a powerful input you're giving to someone mm. and it's going to make a change, you know, and we kind of have to use that at our discretion if that's a functional or dysfunctional positive or negative thing. So, uh, yeah, I, I really try to say as little as possible at first. Yeah. So is it mostly like you just tell them a task to do such as like, just pick up that bag, walk with it over there and put it down again. Is it as simple as, as that normally? Yeah. It's either going to be an external task like that, you know, pick it up from A to B. Or um, an internal task, we're targeting uh, this tissue or we're trying to connect to this and stress this. Um, but yeah, something simple that they can connect to. Hmm. And for you, you mentioned like back when you made the handle strong camps and you're running this outdoor sort of stuff. Is this where you're already starting to explore the sort of this more unconventional side of training or how has your training developed over the years? Like where did you sort of start from and how did it develop to where it is now? Oh man, all over the place. Um, it started, I mean, my physical practice started uh, probably playing football, which now that I think of it, I'm, uh, when I was younger, I was uh, a, a lineman in American football. So I'm pretty much grabbing people and pushing them over and over <laughs> for hours at a time <laughs> um, and tackling and, you know, lifting people, to, you know, fighting with another person. Mm -hmm. So that right there was a, a base that a, I think a lot of, a lot of athletes who get into fitness later and then become trainers you know, don't look at what they're doing right now. Look at what they did when they were kids. So that was like the base of my 
kind of strength. And then I went into like bodybuilding style training in the gym to like um, more powerlifting style to that 90s perform better, like functional training uh, style, if you remember that, um, to Olympic lifting, to body weight calisthenics, to mobility focus, to like movement culture. I want to do cool tricks. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm still going through phases, but, but I look at it differently now, whereas each each uh, different exploration is just, um, you know, just exploring and taking things and just always taking information. So, yeah, I don't know. Everything, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, with your training now at the moment, you know, if you're taking bits and pieces and you're exploring, I mean, how do you kind of organize that? Do you? You know, is that sort of like I want to do a hip hinge dominant sort of movement or what goes through your mind when you do you, like, do you have a program or do you write yourself one? Yeah, I follow program. So, I mean, I've thought about this a lot um, because there are so many lenses to approach programming or, or even movement. Like, how do you categorize it? Are you going to look at it as... Um, you know, push, pull, hinge, squat, carry. Are you going to look at it as, you know, anterior chain dominant, you know, posterior chain? So do you look at it from joint angles? Do you look at it from the musculature? So what I um, kind of created, the framework I use is just mo moving through different intentions. Um, and my friend Chris and I created a course about this. and just to lay it out. Um, so inputting different intentions uh, are, are taking a movement pattern such as a squat. And then, you know, do I want to, uh, you could put it through the lens and the constraint of uh, tension or torque. And then, you know, we have internal torque, external torque, you know, splitting the torque, which creates a spiral. And then there's different combinations of that. And that's going to spit out um, different constraints and intentions you do the movement through. And then that's going to produce the expression of, you know, moving in different ways, which you see everywhere. So that's the, the framework I use. And uh, yeah, it's just another way of looking at it. I don't think any of them are right or wrong. It's like we have to create some sort of symbology and language and labels to communicate <laughs> movement <laughs> to each other so uh yeah that's that's the one i use currently yeah it's interesting you know it's like an identification right you know i do push pull i do you know uh bent arm str uh, straight arm but the way we're all doing it is really quite different uh, as you say like and i'm interested to dig in a little bit more about this intentions that you mentioned as well so is that so you, you might choose like a particular movement pattern, which might be just X, but then depending on your intention of how you want to perform it, that could just change everything of what you experience. So it's like, or the actual expression of how that movement is as well. Yeah, it's going to change 
what you're trying, it's going to change the internal task um, of performing the movement. And as a byproduct of that, the position and, you know, form is going to look vastly different. And there's even variability amongst individuals of, you know, how that's going to look. But um, yeah, I guess that you asked before, like, am I giving people complexity? It's like, no, they know very um, objectively what we're doing here. But, you know, it can look very unconventional and chaotic when you insert some of these constraints and they're doing something that's, I guess, it seems unconventional just mm-hmm. because of the task. But uh, as, as long as you're, you know what you're doing and you have a good uh, why and you're connected to it, then, um, you know, I think it's useful. And you mentioned this internal, external talk. Like, what what do you mean by that? So I um, took that concept from uh, Julian Pinal. Um, so I've heard of like people describe torque through movement. Usually, they're talking about a specific joint, uh, like a rotational force. Like you could think about spinning your hand out or in. Um, but this concept of torque is more of a systemic um, action. So if you think about, you know, trying to, uh, so I use this like torque stick a lot. So, you know, trying to bend that is a good picture. Like you're creating internal torque. External torque would be like a triple extension snatch or a jump, something like that. So easy way to visualize it. Hmm. Um, And then when you get into, you know, creating one torque on one side, opposite torque on the other side, you, a spiraling action will start to happen. And then you could reverse that or do the long side, which is reaching as a torque or different. So either way, as long as you connect to it, you can kind of input it in an exercise to give direction. And I, you know, once I started doing that, I really got out of the old, um, just cueing form and giving people shapes to mimic, which is fine. It's just another lens of doing things. Um, but whatever allows people to be more confident, connected to what they're doing, um, which I think is a, more of a felt experience than a mimicry or choreographed experience, hmm. which can be uh, harder to connect to for people, uh, then I think it's it's more accessible, easier uh, from a coaching standpoint to relate. Uh, well, just following up with the the talk um, idea, I guess maybe for the listeners out there, like bringing it to a common movement that I, I know a lot of people practice, maybe like the split squat. Like, how would these intentions or this focus of internal, external, what you mentioned here? change the expression of that movement pattern? Yeah. So if you're doing something like a split squat, um, so if you're doing cueing internal torque, that's just going to create a certain tension. Um, external torque is going to drastically change the range of motion, uh, that you can express. And you know, that was another change for me was just the concept of mobility. Um, because you could just say mobility is all right. How far can you move? But 
especially when you're relating it to moving load and generating power, it's like, yeah, but within the, that movement pattern or external task of A to B, depending on which torque you're in, you're going to be expressing two very different um, ranges of motion. So it's like what, <laughs> you know, I'll have movements that I've actually decreased the range of motion in, but to me it's a PR because within that torque I'm going further. Hmm. Um, but, but especially going back to the uh, example of a split squat, if you create kind of this um, spiraling of torque, then you're going to be offset. Um, there's going to be rotation involved. You're going to be, you know, and, and that was a big thing for me. Cause I, you never see people kind of offset their shoulders. Really? That's really uh, a no, no, you know, you're being a naughty mover with bad form. If you're doing that, <laughs> so it just allows you, it allows you to do these quote unquote, like um, compensations or, asymmetries of movement but with intention um and i think you know more safely especially if you're doing it with intention so did that uh was that a good visual <laughs> <laughs> kind of i'm kind of <laughs> just imagining a wonky sort of split squat but you're you're intending to do it that that way yeah, and it's going to look wonky. Like, it'll look weird for different individuals, but it's like, why are you doing it? What are you going for? What do you feel when you're doing it? What are you connecting to when you do it? And, um, you know, we have the conventional framework of you want to do it to make, to from go to A to B and get these joints to this angle, which is fine. Or you could do it to, hey, I want to create this torque and have this spine muscle connection connect to these tissues. You know, if you're talking to someone from like, um, functional patterns are these people who train, uh, the slings and all those, you know, they're going to express it through a whole different framework and they're going to, it's going to spit out a whole different expression of the movement, which is going to look different positionally in their form. So we, yeah, we have so much, to play with um, as far as cueing and as far as intention behind any exercise. I mean, the exercise is really just a vehicle to train and express something. Um, so you could fill in anything you want as a coach, um, you know, use your discretion. Yeah. What comes to mind is how you mentioned like with, the concept of a PR because when I'm picturing this, it's almost like, well, a lot of it comes down to the subjective experience as well, right? Rather than, I know the normal measurement of the PR is, you know, you do a couple more seconds in a certain position or you do 10 more kilos on the bar and it's very like demonstrable in that way. So within this framework, how do you, how do you consider the, that concept of personal best? Yeah, you could still make it objective by setting up the exercise um, to facilitate the creation of a certain tension. So, you know, we could say, I don't know if you've ever played around with a like a yoke, um, a yoke bar or a yoke rack. No, I haven't. But 
yeah, really the only way to get one of those up is through, you know, a certain external torque. Um, so it's going to be a lot higher. Um, if I, if you want someone once again, giving them that, that torque stick and having them hold it and squeeze it, uh, actively while going into a squat or lunge is going to put them to another one. And then once they connect to that, then it's like, all right, we're just going to add load to this experience and we're going to maintain the same tension. But yeah, I don't have a problem with something being, I mean, bodybuilding's subjective. You don't see them giving a shit about the load on the bar or the weight or the, or even the form. Like, it's not like, Oh, hold it this angle. They're like, no, I'm, I'm trying to hit this, you know, sternal part of my pec. And mm. when I do this, I feel it and I'm going to go for a pump. Totally subjective, but you know, it works and people don't have a problem with it. And people usually understand that pretty well, but with other, you know, skill-based methods of movement, then you kind of get out of that. And then my issue is the average client coming in, do they really give a shit about the skill? Like, is that why they came in? I mean, you know, maybe they do and that's great. But, um, uh, it, once again, it all goes back to you as the coach. What is the why, uh, and the, the lens you're giving them when you offer them an exercise or movement. Um, yeah. And I know this might be a, a difficult question, but why do you train? Um, yeah. Yeah, it's difficult because I, th I think it change, changes over time. The why evolves. Um, I mean, one big reason I train is because I uh, am also a trainer and I feel like I need to, <laughs> I need to actually be doing it. Um, but it's also like, I love training, you know, it's my favorite part of the day. Um, uh, I love, I love how it makes me feel. I love the exploration of it. Um, it, you know, it's linked to my identity as a, as a male to some degree. Uh, you know, the ego is definitely a big part of it. Um, it, yeah, it's a, it's a big part of my life. It's always been a big part of my life. Uh, now that I think back on it, it's always been like the constant thread, even when I was at like rock bottom or, <laughs> you know, life was not going too well. I really never miss a day at the gym and I'm thankful I had something like that. Maybe for other people it's church or they had a relationship or family member, but like that was the thing that um, never kind of left me. And I always, you know, I, I could break my word. I could break a commitment. I could break promises. I let myself down, but I never did that with um, training my relationship to movement. So yeah, I'm thankful for that practice. It's, it's just, a, it's a part of my, my life, self-improvement, discipline, all these benefits and wise people have, like I, I embrace all of them. Yeah. That's nice, man. And I really resonate with how you say with how that portion has been a constant in your life. Because when I think about myself as well, it's similar. It's like, you know, that you can always turn to this space and time during your day 
to express yourself, to keep on going, no matter what's happening outside in the chaos of your life, right? And then sometimes when, you know, you, you can't train for whatever reason as well, then you, then you feel that as well because you feel like you're just like, oh, like it wasn't maybe as nice today or I, I missed out today because I couldn't do that. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, there's that saying to, to see the one, to see the thousand thousand ways in the one way. Like, I, I mean, I'm a meathead, but I learned a lot about life from training. Like, you know, when I got into, all right, now I'm, I need to create a business around this. It's like, what, what principles, what did I do that made me successful in training? Oh, I'm going to apply it to this. You know, it, it, it teaches you things about life. And I think any pursuit can do that. But for me, it was training. And, you know, one of the things about training that's beautiful or, or lifting, especially, or, you know, some sort of progressive pursuit is the honesty. You know, it gives you feedback. Like, you know, you didn't get it today. Okay. You got it today. Oh, you focus. That helps. Okay. You're consistent. You know, that's a key. You keep showing up. Um, so yeah, it, it, that's kind of linked. I have to filter everything in life through, through training in a sense. I'm like, Oh, it's just like that. But yeah, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for it. And you mentioned this, uh, you know, concept of the ego, ego and training. Um, yeah. What sort of role does that play for you within this, this aspect? Yeah, I mean, it gives, I mean, we know that young males are typically into physicality and training. And, you know, may, I, you know, I'm just speculating, maybe that's because we require some sort of rite of passage or struggle or way to prove ourselves, you know, especially to other men. Unfortunately, it's usually not to women. They don't care how much you bench. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a fight that we can enter. Um, and may, maybe, that's why, maybe that's why it feels so good um, to do. Maybe that's why you feel a little, a little bit more worthy. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm not sure. I don't think it's just aesthetic, you know, as far as the ego goes. I don't think it's just to, to show off looks. I think there's something about the actual pursuit of strength and the work you put in in the suffering that uh, makes us feel more confident and better about ourselves. Yeah, it's funny like that. Um, and this, this trial by fire concept, you know, it reminds me of what are those African tribesmen called that were they for the rite of passage they have to go like slay a lion or something that i can't remember what they're called but is that where they stick their wiener in like a, a beehive or something or ant <laughs> i haven't heard about that one but <laughs> was it a different limb maybe it was your hand <laughs> <laughs> or testicles i don't know and you couldn't scream yeah i'm probably way off uh, i'm i'm confused about which tribe i'd like to be born in now well, i don't know which one would be would be more challenging <laughs> 
but I think whatever tribe that is that has some extreme um, uh, like ritual coming to age ritual where you have to endure intense pain and you're not supposed to show any vulnerability or you know, you're not supposed to express any of this pain. You're not supposed to scream or back out. I think they say that these people, it influences why they're such great athletes at like endurance running because mm. of their relationship and ability to process pain. Um, so yeah, that's interesting. That's probably, I mean, I wouldn't want to do that, but if you had a tribe and it was like, our tribe has to be, you know, this, we want to make sure all the members who belong in it are, can hold their own, are worthy and we can count on them. Especially if you don't know, you know, if you have enemies around you, that it makes sense from an evolutionary standpoint. I could see that. I mean, this is all in us, you know. <laughs> this is, these are deep um, traits that we still hold. Maybe that's why we're using exercise, which is a fairly new concept, which hasn't been around that long, in which we all justify through some, you know, oh, let's create a exercise science and. Um, record some EMGs. I think it goes way deeper than that. And we're all mm. just making excuses for something that we're missing. It kind of feels like that way, doesn't it? And this concept, yeah, it's like the, the chosen suffering. You know, there's some sort of element that we need to, uh, to suffer from. And, you know, this is in a, in a positive ac aspect of it. You know, not, not, not saying that suffering can be the negative but the fact and you maybe tying it back to what you're talking about before with intention it's like as as long as we're aware and then choosing to choose this suffering which in this modern world might be you know going to the gym and lifting up that barbell to experience that that pain and suffering keeps us going and feeling like we're we're connecting to that element of hey this is what we're supposed to be doing like from the well maybe evolutionary standpoint or something that this is that trial by fire and well it's lucky in this modern day as well we could do that every day for an hour or two a day yeah it's a cool hack and i yeah i like the idea of um choosing your suffering i mean once again all the like um i i like the term no pain no gain that makes a lot of sense to me. You can't say it in the fitness realm now because all the like pain science geeks will jump out with their clipboards. <laughs> That's a dysfunctional way to look at the exercise. But I mean, we know what it means, right? It's, it's the ability to, it's mostly psychological. It's a heuristic to say, look, we want to become more comfortable in discomfort everything in us biologically is trying to conserve energy is trying to stay out of working unnecessarily but we're in this modern time where we don't have any of it so we have to invent this exercise uh, thing and yeah i mean if you look at any elite athlete or anyone who's achieved something great that is how they live like no pain no gain they know this intuitively and they have the ability to regulate themselves, regulate their emotion, um, handle fatigue, their relationship with stress, and lean into it 
and actually flip it around saying, oh, this pain and suffering I'm going through is a healthy thing. Like I enjoy this. Like you can't enjoy exercise outside of the context of exercise is good for you or else it would be punishment. It's what we do to prisoners, which is like how the treadmill was used, right? In the 1800s, it's like, um, but we flipped it. And I think that's an amazing thing that humans are able to do is they created, like we create meaning behind exercise, meaning sometimes bigger than ourselves. And it's a beautiful thing. So yeah, hey, no pain, no gain, bro. Yeah, <laughs> let's take that back. Let's take that phrase back. I'm with you on that one. And it, yeah, it, I don't know who said it, but it's something like, yeah, it was like, it's life isn't about the, uh, the escape of stress, but, you know, just choosing the right stress for you as well, you know, just being not at odds with it, but just embracing it. Right. And that's kind of, even, well, we're training, right. You need that right amount of stress to adapt. And if you go overboard, then, maybe bad things can happen, right? And then if you don't do too much, then nothing happens. If you do it too much, you won't be able to stress yourself, right? <laughs> so it's, it's counterintuitive. So yeah, I like how you said it because it is like we're the average person, I think in the West is stressed all day. But in inter-training where it's a stress that you can control like you actually have control over it maybe for once instead of your boss yelling at you or some emails you got to go through whatever it's like no i i'm going to enter this and conquer it i'm stepping into the arena and i won like it's a different sort of stress um which i think we need you know i've had people tell me like this this workout is the one thing one of the things in my life that I have complete control over and the rest of the day I got to do my, my duties. So I think that's important to give people. And I think as a coach, it's important to know that when you're working with someone, it's like you're, you're in their corner in their fight and you're helping facilitate it. Hopefully that they win. And I think that's good programming because you want them to win Hmm. and progressively win against, you know, bigger obstacles. A friend asked me recently about <clears throat> what I thought about this term and I wanted to run it past you as well. It's like uh, this, this concept of an intelligent practice. And I, th- I found it really interesting, you know, this, and you've mentioned before about this, uh, this, this concept of developing movement intelligence. So that term, an intelligent practice, what, what does that mean to you? Yeah, that I'm hesitant to say that you need to do that. Or maybe it's just the word intelligence. Because I think a, the majority maybe of fitness professionals um, tend to over-intellectualize movement in their practice. Which, who knows if that's good for them. But I think it creates... Um, it's harder to access for just everyday people when you do that. Um, I mean, if you want to make your practice uh, a spiritual movement practice, I think that's fine. Um, you know, a, a word I would like is, is an, an intentional movement practice, but as far as intellectual, 
yeah, I think, I think fill in the word that, um, that gives you a reason to do it and adds value to your practice. And that's fine. It's an interesting point there with the over intellectualization of maybe this, this industry. And is this something so, yeah, I wanted to ask like, who do you actually mainly focus and, and serve? Is it, um, other sort of movement enthusiasts, that sort of thing, online coaching, or do you do a lot of in-person work with just everyday people? Yeah, during the pandemic, actually, I, I was doing only online um, coaching and projects for a couple of years. And during the pandemic, I started training people in the gym again. It's <laughs> <laughs> ironic. But I really, uh, I, I try to have both ends of the spectrum. So I mainly work online with, with coaches and trainers. But then I kind of keep my teeth sharp and my sword sharp in the trenches with like everyday Joes. Because if, if what I'm exploring and teaching doesn't resonate and isn't practical and valuable to them, I don't feel the need to give it to uh, the intellectual trainer who wants... Uh, you know, to, to get far out there. So yeah, I, I try to keep a balance with that, but I would say that the, by far the majority is just other trainers. Yeah. And it's interesting there because I think like from the battlefield, you're kind of drawing from your direct experience and then to communicate to these other trainers, there's this level of this transformation of intellectualization, you know, putting words and labels around it. Like you mentioned, like the chi talk thing, that sort of stuff for others to then understand it. Right. So yeah. What, what sort of level of intellectualization are you comfortable with? Or do you like to prefer when you're in that context and then communicating with other coaches? Yeah, because it's working with two different cultures, so you have to use different languages. Uh, and the language I would use with a with certain coaches, I would never use as just someone coming in looking to work out. But the the process in my mind is the exact same. I'm just um, talking to them differently, in you know, using different language. And I think that's the the key so like um example is like the cheetor course like i would never tell anyone to use use that um explanation with their clients but as a coach going through the process of selecting the exercise what you're looking and giving to them as cues and all that you could use um but as far as like the how and the mechanics behind it. I mean, some people may say your job as a coach is to educate the client. Um, I don't really do that. I don't feel the need to explain and geek out on my reasoning. I just say, we're going to work out. I'm doing things behind the scenes, but we're just going to have a great time. Um, which is different with coaches because coaches want more of the why. What is the reasoning behind it? What is a, a systematic process? What is the principles? How can I apply these to um, my own personal movement practice? And I think that's valuable for them as a tool. I like that. It's almost like when you're there with that person that just walked through in the gym, you're just there and focused almost in just creating a great experience for them 
right? So that they just, you're just guiding them through this thing and they're like, okay, cool. I, f- I feel better. But then afterwards you can do all the geeking out or whatever that, that you want observations that can help inform like your own practice and maybe like your own teaching, but to other people. Yeah. It's in a lot of people. I have this, um, I do this sometimes myself is when you get lost in the conceptual framework first and you get ahead of yourself and then you're trying to fit the movement to it. I don't think it's as practical as just doing it, feeling it. And then after the thought learning, okay, here's some, some principles behind it. So that's a delicate kind of, uh, kind of thing you have to think about as a coach and it's what a lot of systems do right we're gonna give you all this evidence science and methodology okay and then here's the actual practice you do after and you're so caught in the conceptualization of it that uh you forget whoa let me let me try this first and see what happens well it's like the yeah the when you're a, a movement geek and you're, this is what you're after, right? And you're loving all these new theories and concepts because you can connect with it. You can connect with that language. And then it, I mean, it does change the experience afterwards when you then enter into something because maybe you've got that framework or theory running through your mind, right? So f- flipping that on the other side, when you just walk into something and sometimes when you haven't been told to focus on something, then you have a different experience. Right. Yeah. I mean, oh man, think about it. What if, what if in an alternate um, reality somewhere um, we have like Edo who is philosophizing about movement and how it relates to life, which I love, by the way, like I love philosophizing about movement, but his practice was instead of like capoeira and like uh, gymnastic strength, it was like, b-boying and um i don't know like some sort of other dance practice and then that was like what people attach to all this intellectualization and about you know freedom of movement like it's it's all just cultural and social when you think about it right but the i love the sexiness of the philosophizing about it and the ad hoc reasons why doing this is, is making you a better human being, but it could be anything, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I guess it's just finding what connects with you the most. Right. And then when you're dealing with someone across the other side of the table, whether it be a coach or a client, it's like finding their, their reasons or their, their whys as well. And then adapting that communication for them. But I'm guessing that maybe when you're queuing that split squat for that that client, that everyday Joe, I mean, are you saying things like internal, uh, external talk or it's, it's something completely different? I never use internal torque or external torque or fire and ice. And I, yeah, I don't say, I don't use any of that language. Um, I mean, how a typical workout will be, we'll, we'll do some like uh, quote unquote activation type work where it's very simple. Um, and then they, they connect to certain muscles, certain tensions while they're moving. 
And then we go into a more compound lift and we say, hey, we want to create the same tension. And then we do it, move on. It, it's simple. I really don't have to say much because they feel it. Yeah, the most I'll say is like, want to create the same tension. And I'll poke. I do a lot of poking, but that's it. I'm just imagining a session now when I'm trying to lift a big sandbag and you're like just poking me everywhere. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would love to poke you a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> poke, poke those chesticles. Yeah. <laughs> and at the moment, <clears throat> so at the moment, are you learning from somebody at the moment? Yeah, right now I'm, um, um, I don't know if you've heard of the, the Gota people, greatest of all time athletes. Um, so we, on our, uh, on our podcast, uh, the, the quest cast, we totally just shit on these guys. Right. <laughs> and they got really mad and I was like, Hey, I I'm open to, to learning and experiencing it myself. So I've been on like a three month journey doing this, this practice with them. And they have this, like, uh, it's like these, the functional crowd where like, this is the way the human is supposed to move. If you don't, you're going to get injured and hurt yourself. Um, it's all about gait. So, uh, <laughs> I'm doing that too. I don't, you know, I look at it as once again, you're putting in new constraints we're viewing it through a different lens and I'm going to learn something, something new. Ideally it would, it would, um, disconfirm one of my prior beliefs and then I, I could, you know, upgrade even more, hmm. but yeah, it's all just, uh, it's all just different games you could play new information. I really love this because, you know, I think it's really hard. I mean, we talked about the ego before letting go of what, you believe to be true and then walking sometimes to the other side, you know, and to, to ta challenge yourself in this, in this confirmation bias, right? Like uh, all these days, you know, the algorithm that always seeks to show you all the stuff that's going to, going to confirms with your belief. So this is, yeah, this is really interesting to hear about <clears throat> the choice that you're making here. Uh, but I do have to sort of question their name about, saying greatest greatest of all time <laughs> but um it, it, has there been anything i guess that's they've brought up that's making you question something that you that you are strong on or you that you've um that you're quite strong in your belief on at the moment um yeah i don't think i'm ready to say anything for sure on that um, they have, so when you're, when you join their, their cult or their system, you finally advance to a phase where you become enlightened and they call that reaching the singularity of movement. Is this and, actually uh, for real with the terms? It's called, it's called the singularity. I swear. <laughs> no way. <laughs> and what, once, once you recognize this, they term it, you're now a red pilled. So you're like out of the matrix, the exercise matrix. So I, I would love to reach that, that, uh, that level of enlightenment. That's my goal for this. And then I could come back to, um, the normal people and, um, and explain what's going on in my own language and terms. That's my goal. 
but I'm not there yet. I'm still a, a WODA is what they call it, which is worst of all time movers or athletes. Wow. <laughs> I don't really know what to say. <laughs> you do, there's nothing to say, but here's the thing. Like if you like, this is how I like, I like to approach things. If you approach it, that there's no good or bad movement, it's all just different um, tasks, constraints, and experiences. I mean, there, you don't need to involve the ego. You just do whatever you want, beginner mindset, and you'll figure something out or you'll be like, all right, tried that. So there's really nothing bad. Like everyone's right, but I think everyone's wrong in their claims and the mechanistic explanations behind their systems, you know, mm. especially if there's the, the word functional in the system, uh, you know, they're already making a claim right there, mm. but um, you know, do it, do whatever you want. It's all, it's all just movement. Everyone has a body, like no one owns anything. Just do what you want to do. Explore. It's a, it's a better way to approach a practice, I think. Mm. But I think also that that can be quite difficult to approach sometimes, right? To someone who doesn't know anything or is quite new to it or doesn't have that guidance, right? Just that, that term, oh, just go ahead and explore and to play. I think if I said that even to like my brother who just goes to the, normally to the, to the gym, I'd be kind of met with a, a blank look on his face. He wouldn't, wouldn't really know what to do. And he just wants to get jacked and look good. Right. So yeah, yeah maybe if you're talking to someone like that, it's like, Hey, try, um, try the, the Arnold routine or maybe, you know, try this bodybuilding routine, try some drop sets, even within that little culture, there's a, a hundreds of camps and different methods to do. But I think in that, in that culture, it's refreshing because they don't really give a shit that much. You know, <laughs> they do just try things They're like, Oh, I feel it. Yeah, it's great. Got a nice pump and that's all they need. And it's like, Oh, remember those days? <laughs> <laughs> that's like no one's, no one's arguing that this is the proper way to build muscle functionally. Um, they, they just say, hey, here's, here's either some research or here's some proven methods. Um, try them or don't. If it works, it works. And with this um, element of exploration then, I mean, uh, what, what's the balance between that and maybe like some sort of level of linearity where you know, to get better at something, it's like you have to be consistent with it as well. So yeah, maybe if you could, comment on how, how do we navigate the, that two spectrum of you know order chaos yeah i think it depends on depends on your goals um once again if it's just someone coming in uh off the streets looking to work out i mean the goal is going to be to get them stronger that's my metric that i'm using um, it's not going to be to move prettier or necessarily get good at a skill or um, improve your gait. It's just going to be, I want to make you a stronger individual and all these other things, you know, should fall in line. We're going to learn to use this exercise or skill as a vehicle to improve that and we'll get better with it over time. Hopefully things are feeling better. You're getting stronger in new places. 
so that you're feeling more functional, you're feeling better outside the gym. And yeah, just simple, simple, um, I guess the mindset that I use with clients is uh, PR every day. So we try to hit a PR every day. That's how, that's how I set up my programming. That's how I like to program is for constant PRs, uh, ideally multiple PRs every workout. And so how do you set that program up? So it's uh, a PR every, every day. Is that, I'm, I'm thinking, is it, so is this PR in the sense of, you know, like, let's use the barbell lift and you know, it's another five kilos in the bar or is it something else? Like you're noticing a, a difference in the way you pick it up or with the tempo that you're doing it in. I mean, that's a beautiful thing. It's whatever you want. There's a million different uh, variables that you could be tracking. Um, so in the beginning, of course, someone who's new is going to make a lot of gains. So, you know, all time, PRs as far as the load lifts is going to be there and that's very noticeable. It's easy to grasp, but then, uh, you know, yeah, we could change our stance on the squat or we can, um, try a low bar squat or make it a box squat, or we could change the tempo on the squat and all these are different PRs. And I even think, you know, when someone, if someone's having issues and they're like, wow, that felt good. And I feel good after it, man, that's a big PR right there. Just subjective PRs. So I think just measuring and uh, being aware of the progress just from a psychological standpoint is the biggest thing you could do for someone as far as buy-in adherence, enjoying the program and, you know, looking forward to making progress and producing the effort to go even further. Um, you know, efforts, one of the, the hardest things to produce in people's training. So if you have a nice carrot and a safe pathway to push that intensity, then, uh, you know, you, the results are going to come. Mm. And, you know, when clients come to you and they might just say, like, I just want to get s stronger, like, how do you interpret that? Or what sort of questions <clears throat> do you normally like to ask them to find out more about them and, and their goals and their orientation? Um, honestly, I wouldn't dig too deep uh, in an assessment. I would change it on the fly as we're going. So I would see what they enjoy doing. Um, I'm constantly adjusting things. Maybe that didn't feel good. Maybe you don't prefer that. So, all right, throw it out, change it. You know, slowly introduce new new movements, new things. If, it, if you like it, we'll keep it. If you don't, we'll adjust it, modify it. So I kind of see it more as a, as a relationship with uh, the client coach in the program. It's just constantly evolving and I'm gathering more information every single rep set and workout. Um, and we go for there, but I don't, you know, I don't overthink it in the beginning too much. Yeah, that's nice, man. Um, you know, when's the last time you got injured? The last time I got injured? Hmm. Like a big injury or just like a, let's a go. tweak? Uh, let's go big injury. I want to hear. Hmm. 
been a while. Um, I would say 2014, 13, 14. Um, I was really into Olympic weightlifting and, um, I, I also saw a Kelly Starrett video where he was showing the psoas smash. So someone was showing this to me, mm-hmm. digging. It was the wor- It was like one of the worst, like manual, quote unquote, releases, whatever you want to call it. Jabbing their finger in my psoas, and I felt it was this ropey thing, and I was almost crying. And the guy was like, "Oh, I gotta go." So I only did this one side, and I'm like, "Okay." I'm going to go lift now heavy, which I probably shouldn't have done. My legs like all loose on that side. And I did some like clean pull with too much weight, something like 425, it was 400 something. And this like pop, like I went up, I heard this huge pop. I thought the whole room heard it. And I stood up with the bar, but my upper body was facing one way and my lower body was facing the other way. And I was like, what the hell? And I dropped the bar and I went to walk and I tripped over myself. And I'm like, what is wrong? No pain at all, by the way. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like off and my legs like funky and I feel twisted. And just over the week when I'm going to squat and all these other things, I, the stability's not there. And then all like now my back hurts on the right side. Now my knee hurts. Now my shoulder hurts. And just all these string of things started happening. And you know what? I'm so grateful for that moment because I went on a like three, four year journey of giving people lots of money to try to fix myself. (laughs) And I learned so much and I, um, you know, learned all these things and explored new systems and got into more uh, more movement-y, like functional, like mobility type stuff because of it. Mm. Not saying that's the answer. It was the answer that helped, but it just forced me to get out of my comfort zone. You know, fear pretty much and scarcity forced me to get out and learn new things. Um, and it also... Every time you're in pain, it helps you relate to someone else who's in pain. Every time something's not working, it gives you just a broader perspective of the human experience. So yeah, that was that was the big one. Um, and it's still like my right hip is my, I call it my bad hip. Maybe that's not the right words I should use. <laughs> I love my hip, but yeah. I, but but I learned I learned how to still. Um, lift, push myself, and um, do what I love to do. So, do you know what happened in the end, or what? Yeah, what? Like, did did you snap your hip flexor? Is that even a thing? <laughs> it was like posterior hip capsule area. Mm. Um, I have no idea. I mean, I went to. I got so many different di- diagnoses from doctors that who knows what it is. They're like you have FAI in your hip. And I was like, okay. And they're like, yeah, you're screwed. Don't lift anymore. Um, You might need surgery. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to listen to you. Someone else was like, you know, you, you, um, 
showing up the, on the MRI, like you, you might've um, torn your psoas, like off your, your femur. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I don't need a psoas. Um, and then uh, depending on like what education or system they were in, like PRI, whatever, they would explain it. Oh, I, you have this problem that we could fix. So then, and then I just learned that way. Like, Hey, every, like, we don't know what's going on. No one really knows what's going on. If you go to someone who has a scalpel, they're going to say it from an anatomical point of view. If you go to someone who works with um, posture and the diaphragm, they're going to say that's the problem. So that was a valuable lesson for me as a naive, innocent uh, customer just looking for help in the, in the healthcare field. <laughs> but I, yeah, I don't, who knows what really happened. Hmm. Since then, have you ever met or seen oh, Kelly Starrett? I, sorry. Sorry, before I get into the case start, I even had someone tell me that the issue was caused by um, trauma uh, with my father. And they told me to go visit his grave immediately. Did, did that work? I felt a little better, actually, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I guess, you know, Kelly Starr got the name right. Really smashed your psoas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, um, look, and even Kelly Starr would tell you, "Look, don't do that right before a lift, you idiot." <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's not his fault. <sighs> well, I'm glad to hear this because, you know, that relates to my experience, and then I think so many other guests that I've had on the podcast as well is from that traumatic event or some sort of chronic pain, it drives you with this curiosity, right? To, to fix yourself. And then along that journey, then you start exposing yourself to all these other modalities. I mean, that's what broke me free from, you know, more classic bodybuilding or like just doing deadlift squat row all, all day to then finding, you know, all the Edo stuff, movement culture stuff, because I was like, I got to fix my body. Like I can't deal with this pain anymore. I got to, I got to find answers and then it gets better after a while. And then you're like, Oh, actually this was, this was pretty good. You know, cause I wouldn't have found all this stuff if, if like it just kept on working, right. I guess you would have just kept on continuing doing whatever you were doing before. Oh yeah. Hopefully I'd be a, um, uh, elite Olympic lifter if that never happened. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I think that's how life works. You know, it's, we have, we have roadblocks that make that divert us into a new path. And it is, I mean, being born into this world is painful and terrifying and scary. Like we'd want to stay in there forever if we could. Right. But it brings us somewhere new. And you know, when I look back on going back to suffering and choosing your suffering, when I go back on those times in my life where it's like you, you romanticize it and think of it as, you know, the good old days or best of times, but they were like really painful, <laughs> painful times you did not want to be in at the time, but they're always preceded by growth. Um, and yeah, I think that injuries are definitely can apply to that as well. So there are a few 
more things that I wanted to ask you about, which is maybe a, f- a final one on this, uh, on the whole strength area is, you know, there's always like a classic sort of debate with um, what tools better than, uh, than which, you know, like body weight strength versus barbell strength, you know, that's a very common narrative like what's your take on 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 all that i think you should do whatever you want i mean i'm personally a movement libertarian i you know you it's up to you i think maybe if i'm just guessing different people um are better suited for different practices. And I don't know if that's physiological or psychological or cultural, but you know, I would say, and this is personally, anything that allows you to push intensity on, you should do whatever practice that is. Um, Yeah. Just because doing things for me, doing things that I'm, I can't, push effort and intensity on because there's some sort of limitation i don't prefer um and i think that could be different for everyone yeah because like well i guess also that that perception of intensity can be different in different aspects as well depending on what lens you're viewing it from as well yeah i know people who are like doing hand balancing and they're just deep into the suffering and agony and that's like their thing you know um so yeah like i I respect that that's their i mean the thing that could connect it is 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 the suffering and intensity and effort they're putting in like the practice is almost fill in the blank to pick your poison (laughs) you should do a week where you rename yourself to like dj suffering (laughs) <laughs> but the hand balancing coaches already do that <laughs> you know i don't want to i don't want to uh, step on any toes that's their thing hey so what are you guys planning with the with the movement quest i know formerly you're well you're wearing a hoodie right now saying like omu online movement university and then i've been noticing you know a lot more things pop up my feed about how you guys have i don't know what do you rebrand rebranded what are you guys planning there? What are you, what are you going to be working on? Yeah, we just wanted to make the community. The best thing that came out of OMU was a community and we wanted to make it more inclusive and easier uh, to access. So we're kind of just changing the model to, um, you know, it's going to be easy community to join low cost we're going to make it a lot more fun um there's going to be uh, you know <laughs> if you so we're creating this with uh majestic mirth the one and only uh john yoon uh, sexiest mover live and myself to all of us would explain movement quest as something different <laughs> to be honest um something I want to do is just take the piss out of like movement culture and exercise and and fitness, you know? So hopefully that people can laugh at themselves. People can, you know, not be so serious about it and be open to just trying new things. Um, without all the, the tribalism, 
You know, we're, we're just trying to break down the barriers and bring everyone together uh, and just learn new things. I mean, that's what we did with OMU. We had a different presenter from various fields teach their practice and point of view every month. And a lot of them were contradictory and a lot of them, you know, systems didn't vibe together. But you realize when it's not even about the system, it's about the person, it's about the coach. And, you know, I mean, that's who I trust. You know, if I were to send my mom to someone for help, um, I'm not going to look at uh, what system should I send them to. More importantly is what's the person I'm going to send them to. Um, and, you know, what their system is kind of secondary, to be honest. Mm-hmm. It's someone I want to trust. So we want to bring people together and we want um, to just share, um, share information about movement and expose, instead of going through the pain like we did to branch out and learn new things. We want to have control over it, our suffering, <laughs> and just uh, you know voluntarily have it available to us. And so, is that going to look like um, online courses or projects for people? What's the output of that? Oh, we don't know. It's whatever we want to do. So the community is the main thing, and we have um, from OMU we have this endless list of uh, exercises and courses that we're going to be releasing. Um, but we're also just going to use as a platform to, um, I mean, you already see the entertainment side of it. We're going to do that. Yeah. We're just, we're going to make it fun. Hmm. So, uh, and I, I like the idea that there's no pigeonhole that we're selling. Uh, yeah. It's going to be whatever we want to do. It reminds me of a nice quote that someone told me, once saying that like the best form of education is entertainment. Yes, I think so. Um, or fear, but yeah. <laughs> so maybe that's what listeners can look forward to just entertainment. And then with a nice dose of fear to keep you going for this. Just lots of, lots of fear mongering is our kind of business plan. We want to make sure if you don't, if you don't buy our service and learn from us, then um, you're not going to have the secrets to movement and enlightenment. And um, you're going to be prone to injury and we could fix all of your problems for just one easy payment a month. <laughs> Credit card details right here. <laughs> How did you link up with Merth and John in the first place? I'd love to hear the, like, the little origin story of that. Yeah, the algorithm. Uh, it was kind of like this. Mirth came by and we did a podcast. And then I was doing like a weekly um, IG live talks with people. And I did one with uh, John, who was really like mysterious at the time. I was like, does anyone even talk to this guy? Um, so then we got comfortable with each other. And then uh, Mirth interviewed him on his podcast. And then we kind of just started talking and we're like, Hey, let's, um, do you guys want to do something cool? And so we did it. And, uh, yeah, it's been a friendship since then, which I like because I've met all of my friends on social media, um, because I don't have any friends in real life. So this is awesome. (laughs) We're laughing, but it's kind of true. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you think about it, the algorithm, like where else, if you're like in high school or something, 
it, it's by proximity, right? Like, oh, I'm around you a lot and maybe we share something. Mm. So let's hang out and create experiences, which will, you know, further cement our bond. But on social media, you have this algorithm that like everything you're into, every weird thing, you're going to link to someone who's exactly on the same frequency as you. Um, I think what makes the relationship even better because I've thought about this, like when you're friends with someone on social media and then you finally go to meet them in real life at an event or something or link up, you're like, Oh, are they going to be like how they are? Is it still going to be good? And almost every time it's just as good as you think it's going to (laughs) be. And it's like, wow, I wish, uh, I wish everyone were closer, you know, maybe uh, when we tap into the virtual reality space, that's how it'll be. <laughs> that's what I'm looking forward to this, the virtual social media. Then we never have to travel or leave our, leave our bedrooms again. Then we never have to move. We could suffer inside virtual reality and we could level up our avatar instead of our actual meat sacks uh, that are outside. <laughs> I'm just looking forward to the size of the virtual rocks that we'll be able to push over and lift together. That's how it's going to be. My virtual reality is just going to be natural only. No technology um, except the one that's plugged into my brain, but it's just going to be just purely caveman shit. (laughs) Well, that's a beautiful story about how you guys met and I do have to align with, yeah, like, the fact that the social in social media it, it does work right it's really nice it's one of the great joys of doing this podcast as well as connecting with people and you are right like with actually meeting these people in real life not normally a lot of them, yeah you're just like oh it's actually this is great like traveled cities met met people and it just turned out i guess we we have this commonality thing with you know like movement practice or geeking out on that and that's all you need yeah, but it's weird how, it, so if, if you are into movement culture and you meet someone else in movement culture, it's not even the movement culture. It's like all these other lists of things you automatically know they're into. It's like, oh, you're, you're also into man buns and you also take psychedelics and you also like to drink really strong coffee out of a, a pour over or something, you know? It is, I bet it's the same for like power lifters who meet. It's like, wow, you also, you know, take this brand of steroids and, you know, put this cream on. I don't know what, but it's crazy how it's, it's just all these factors line up in that, you know, movement is almost the excuse um, to form these cool communities in a sense. And it just goes to show the way, like, we think we're so individual and then you meet these other guys and it's just like, these people are just like me. No, that that's what the um, machine is saying right now. Like these humans are such easy formulas to figure out. I think that whenever I look at my feed and I see the advertisements, the targeted ads I get, I'm like, wow, how did they know this is what I needed or this is what I like? It's <laughs> it's scary almost. Thank you for listening to me, Instagram. <laughs> so I got a couple more questions which is one about the modern fitness industry and we've talked about you know 
several sort of narratives and um, you know common myths that float around but if you could change one thing about how people generally maybe something that people believe that you see with like everyday people walking into the gym what would it be the one thing i guess the biggest impact positive impact might be removing um removing the fear mongering uh from from exercise and movement uh, the fact that doing something a certain way is bad on an, in an absolute sense that he, bodies aren't supposed to move a certain way or in a certain plane or at certain joint angles. Um, I think that's a very disempowering narrative that I would like to remove. And that doesn't mean anything anyone actually does or coaches has to change. But I think just the concept um, of, of bad form outside of the specific intention the trainer has, um, I would like to see that gone. Where do you think that came from? Um, hmm, yeah, that'd be interesting to dive into. I think it's probably natural to say this is good and this is bad just to, you know, push someone towards a target. Um, but I think it was reinforced by, um, biomechanics and exercise science to some degree. Um, in the, I mean, there's studies that you could draw links to, and, you know, this, hmm. this creates certain shearing on the joint or certain movement arm. Uh, so I think the, I think the professionals, the educated elite class of authority, the knowers, that's a way to kind of stay in power is to create the rules and the narratives in a, in a little bit of fear you know, um, because they know how we should move. So yeah, the man, whoever the fitness man is. Yeah. It makes me think on the other side of, you know, like nutritional science right now, I think who's that guy, Ansel Keys, he get, he's getting like a lot of flack for just like the early nutritional studies that he was doing. And everyone's like blaming him for starting the whole branch of, uh, making, conclusions such as like fat is bad i wonder if there's anything like that on this side with movement it's probably even worse <laughs> <laughs> i mean and the thing is you could almost be more objective about uh, nutrition and metabolism than you can with movement because pain i mean that alone hey that's subjective that's a subjective output how are you going to measure that and uh you know, yeah, it, we probably don't even have the tools to know how bad it is. <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep that one as a mystery. All right. Well, final question. I always really enjoy your music selection on a lot of your clips. What's on the playlist at the moment? What's the, what's maybe like number one tune? Let me pop up my, my YouTube's. So it depends. <laughs> so while I'm, while I'm working or, or studying, 
on the computer. I have on Viking Mead Hall. Relaxing fireplace with crackling and Nordic ambience. <laughs> so that's what's up right now. Um, as far as like a a jam, man, um, Molotov by Bones has been on repeat a lot. Awesome. Check that one out. I'll check that one out and I'll, de- I'll definitely check out the Viking ambient music. It's a good one. Yeah, it's a good one to have in the background. <laughs> well, it's been And thank you thank you for appreciating my background music on posts. That's literally the most important step of making a post. I'll have a song and I say what can I caption this with? And then I have to come up with some random video to put on it. But it's really about the music. I'm just glad that you get it out there because I thought normally they always take it down, right? Because of all the uh, the copy copyright. But it must be like the underground shit. That's why you get it through. SoundCloud music. You got you, you to get those SoundCloud artists out there. Yeah. Putting out free stuff. Got to promote the little guy, man. Battling. Hell yeah. Well, it's been a pleasure to have you on, DJ. Really enjoyed this chat. You know, we ran through a, a lot of, um, uh, yeah, a lot of material here, which I'm looking forward to re-listening over again. But um, yeah, if anyone wants it to get in touch, um, best way is it just via Instagram at StrongCamps. Yes, that is it. Cool. And otherwise, you know, for the next couple of weeks or months, is there anything? special that you got planned and releasing or announcing any movement quest stuff or stuff from your own as well? Uh, yeah. Movement quest is going to be doing uh, a launch soon. Uh, and I'm going to be putting out a course on the torque stick tool um, pretty soon, next month or two. Nice. Well, I'll look out for that one and wait, where can you, you get one of those talk sticks, by the way. Is that like a common tool, or that's something that yeah, you came it's old up with? School. Oh no, I didn't come up with it. Um, it's been around for a long time. I, I first saw it uh, at a swap meet when I was a kid, and someone was selling it for like two bucks. But um, yeah, just go on Amazon and search. Uh, so I have a link on my site, but I think they only ship in the U.S. So if you're in Europe or Australia, just go on Amazon or whatever your marketplace is and uh, look for the Power Twister is one brand, or you could search uh, Peck Stick might be another search and you'll, you'll see the little spring bar there. Nice. Well, I like that. Peck Stick. <laughs> yeah. It's all you need. <laughs> For those that can't see right now, he's doing a little peck dance for me, so I can't really concentrate. But <laughs> you, whenever you say pecs, you got to make the titties bounce a little bit. <laughs> it's it's you have to. You definitely do. Well, thanks for joining on the podcast. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, this was fun. Thank you, man. That's it, guys. That's episode 44. Thanks to Daniel for jumping onto the podcast. Really enjoyed that one. It was one of the most 
humorous episodes that I think we've had so far, but also one of the most considerate. Daniel manages to mix not only entertainment, but education in a really interesting way. And I do urge you guys, if you haven't checked him out already, to go onto his page, to go onto his writings on his website as well, because you get to see deeper into his mind through those platforms. Once again, thank you to you guys for joining onto the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please share it with a friend. It really helps me get this out to more people and spread this wonderful modern day movement culture to a wider audience. That's it for today. Remember, if you want to get in touch, you can find me on the website at thepassivehang.com. Otherwise, on Instagram, feel free to shoot me a message at P. That's at P-H-A-O-N-P, and I'd love to start a conversation with you. Otherwise, we're going to keep on trucking on more episodes to come, and I'll see you in the next episode.